guy who's a friend and member of the church here, something of his personal story really, of his search for, for personal meaning, which is the theme we're looking at. And um, again, if you're a visitor, you're very welcome to be with us. Um, we have some answers, we're not going to be able to give you all the answers to everything, um, but um, please feel free to hang around, coffee and tea will be served at the end, you can, I'll be around in the, um, in the visitor's reception if you want to talk to me or ask questions, or any of us really, um, on, a, on the back of what we look at this morning. We're looking at the question of, what's the purpose of my life? And um, this is a big question, isn't it? I mean, in, in a way, it's the archetypal question. It's a question that's been the, the driving force behind all philosophy and religion. The search for meaning and purpose is a massive issue. And of course it's uh, an issue and a question uh, that emerges in all times and all cultures. Um, it's certainly very much a part of modern culture. It's been parodied in a number of ways. I don't know if you may have seen um, you know, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life or um, uh, some of the other parodies. And that one is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a series, fictional series written by Douglas Adams. And um, an interesting sci-fi journey, really, where a group of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings demand to learn what is the ultimate answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And they build a supercomputer that they call Deep Thought, who is particularly built for the purpose of solving this ultimate question and riddle. And it takes, according to the sci-fi novels Deep Thought, seven and a half million years to compute and check the answer, which turns out to be the number 42. Unfortunately, the ultimate question itself remains mysterious and unknown. And so the, you know, the number 42 um, is meaningless without understanding what actually is the ultimate question that's led deep thought to that conclusion. Well, we're going to look at the whole issue of this ultimate question this morning. And I think it's only really as we look into and explore the ultimate reason for all things that we can begin to understand personally as individuals for ourselves what our per personal purpose and meaning of life is. We only really begin to discover that when we understand the reason for all things. And so in order to answer that personal individual question, we have to explore the issue of what this universal meaning is in life. And we're going to uh, touch on that this morning. Why shared on the DVD his own personal story and his own personal story was that through Alpha he began, began to understand the bigger reason behind all things and that led to him himself personally discovering a personal sense of purpose and worth and significance that his job and the holidays and the horse racing and all of those things um, hadn't ever really answered in his own personal life. So we're going to look at the issue of this ultimate question of the meaning of life this morning. And uh, philosophers, of course, for thousands of years have been trying to solve the riddle of man's existence. 
and have been trying to discover man's great purpose. Evolutionists uh, will uh, propose that the meaning of life is simply to reproduce and to continue the existence and improvement of our own particular species. Hedonists will say that the meaning of life is in order to experience as much pleasure as possible and so the catchphrase for the hedonist is eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. The religious say that the meaning of life is to do as much good as possible in order to earn through our own effort the merit and favour of God and so the focus there is on what we do in order to earn merit before God. Existentialists say that whatever you want life to mean, that's what it means. And postmodernists say there is no meaning of life and so there's really no point in the journey. Well, we don't really have time to deal extensively with this whole issue this morning. Uh, we've got about 35-40 minutes, neither do we have the supercomputer, deep thought, to help us on our journey. But we do have the Bible and we do believe as Christians that there are answers to some of these key questions here in the story and narrative and teaching of Scripture. And uh, I just want to um, explore and present some of what the Bible says about the meaning of life and the ultimate reason for all things. Uh, we do have, as I mentioned, a, a course called Alpha, which... Um, is a much more extensive course, about 10 weeks. It starts here on September the 28th. And um, in the pack that you can pick up at the end of my talk this morning, um, there's an invitation and a sign-up sheet in there. If you really do want to take this further and ask some more questions, that's an excellent opportunity to do that. So uh, please grab one of those at the end. So what is the purpose of my life? What is the reason for life itself? I think... I want to start by considering, in the first place, why we even begin to ask that question. I think that's a helpful place to start. To reflect on and explore, really, why we even ask that question in the first place. Why is that question one of the questions on our series of key questions that we're asking, asking these months? I want us to look at this whole issue of the question to start with. In the film, The Matrix, Trinity whispers into the ear of Neo, it's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that drives us. And I want us to think about some of the reasons why we're asking this question in the first place. I think it's interesting for us to recognise, to start with, a few things about this question itself. The first thing I want us to Note, really, is that this is a uniquely human question. The question of the meaning of life is a distinctly human question. You see, as long as there have been humans, there has been this question. Throughout human history, we've sought to understand the nature of reality, and we've reached out as human beings for a reality that is beyond ourselves. I think that that, at the very least, indicates that there's something fundamental and unique about what it means to be a human being that has to do with having a capacity to reach out to something beyond ourselves. In fact, I would go further. I'd say it indicates that there's not just a capacity 
to reach out for a reality beyond ourselves. But there's a consciousness that's actually bothered by a sense of a lack of significance or a lack of meaning. There's a truth deficit, if you like, which is part of the normal human experience and which fuels this pursuit of meaning and this desire to find out the nature of truth and reality. It's a very human pursuit. Second thing I want to suggest about this question is that it's a spiritual question. That's certainly how the Bible would diagnose and define this need to reach out for meaning beyond ourselves. It's a spiritual pursuit. This is not just an intellectual quest. What's being pursued is not simply a finite number, like the number 42, or a conclusion to a rational equation or argument. What we are essentially looking for, according to Scripture, is something that completes, not an equation, but that completes us as persons, individually. That's why the number 42 may be the answer to some kind of question, but it doesn't really provide a solution to the human search for meaning and reality. No, this is a spiritual quest. It indicates, doesn't it, that the thing that's missing in the first place is something that is spiritual. The English philosopher Simon Critchley argues that philosophy itself begins with the experience of disappointment, religious and political, in his opinion, disappointment. The absence of meaning and the absence of justice, in his view, is the driver behind all philosophy and outreaching for answers and meaning. This is a spiritual question. It's also a universal question. This is not just the product of our modern world. It's not the product of just having too much time on our hands in the modern world. It's not the product of post-enlightenment education. Humans at all times and in all cultural expressions have inquired and reached out for a meaning that is beyond themselves. Whether it's ancient Confucianism, whether it's Vedic philosophy, which is the root of Hinduism and Buddhism, whether it's ancient Jewish writings, what we call philosophy has been going on for as long as civilizations have existed. Anthropologists are yet to find a culture or a civilization that does not contain some clear element of religious expression. And so that tells us that this desire to encounter a meaning beyond ourselves is a universal question. Every language has a name for God. So I want us just to reflect on that and to consider the reasons why we're really asking this question in the first place. I want us to talk, look at also this issue of a drive. Now you may be here, you may not spend much time reflecting on the meaning of life, the universe and everything. You may think you're too busy with the routine of life to ever get time to sit and reflect on big issues like that. But the reality is, on a personal level, we're all, aren't we, motivated by a desire to find significance, worth, 
purpose, meaning. And we're all at times troubled by a lack of meaning and significance and worth. That drive may be very subtle, it may be almost imperceptible, but it's there, present in our lives. It may simply be a personal ambition to achieve a certain kind of life or lifestyle. It may be more extreme than that. It may be a strong athletic pursuit. It may be a strong drive to achieve certain things in terms of a career and status and material wealth. It may be a noble drive, a pursuit of some moral mission or cause. For a few, it's an obsessive pursuit of extraordinary things. And the characters that stand out for us in history are those that were somehow driven intensely by this desire and need to make a mark on human history and achieve some great and grand purpose. Think, for example, of the character Alexander the Great, who was extraordinarily driven by this desire and purpose. His father was the king of the Greek Empire. He was taught as a child by the great philosopher Aristotle and he was undoubtedly an extraordinary individual, even as an adolescent. The story is told at the age of 14 that his father, the king, wanted to buy a beautiful black stallion and everyone said it would be impossible to tame this incredibly wild animal. And at the age of 14, Alexander took up the gauntlet of that challenge and jumped on the back of that stallion and tamed that wild animal. It became his favourite horse for 16 years. At the age of 16, Alexander was made the regent of Macedonia and crushed an uprising. At the age of 18, he was in command of the left wing of the Macedonian army at the Battle of Chironia. And he exercised great leadership and led the army to victory. At the age of 20, his father, the king, was assassinated and he became himself king. And from that moment, he began an obsessive pursuit of purpose by extending his kingdom, conquering Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Iran and Afghanistan all in 11 years and in the process founding 70 cities. He died in Babylon at the age of 33 and some commentators say the reason or one of the reasons for his death was he withdrew from his pursuit of kingdoms and empires and just simply got bored. Extraordinary drive has captivated a number of historical characters. And we have to acknowledge that that is something that is distinctly human. Silverback gorillas, lovely though they are, do not pursue the goal of world domination and the establishment of a gorilla civilization. Okay, I'm sorry to spoil it for Planet of the Apes fans, but it's fiction. It doesn't happen, it never will. The drive to achieve purpose and significance is a distinctly human characteristic. And we must ask ourselves the question, where does that drive come from? Well, the biblical answer that we're going to look at this morning is that that drive and that question exists because there is an ultimate reality, 
And there is a God who himself is filled with purpose and the desire to achieve certain ends. The very existence of the question and the drive points to the reality that behind visible life there is a person who is ultimate and there is a purpose that is ultimate. The issue for us really is who is that person and what is that purpose? And when we answer those two questions, we begin to discover our own personal sense of meaning and worth and purpose. If you're floundering in life with a sense of meaninglessness, you need to answer those two questions. Who is the reality that's beyond all things visible? And what is the ultimate purpose within the universe that we live in. I'm going to just suggest three very simple biblical answers to those questions. The first thing is relationship. Okay? You see, the biblical perspective is that ultimate reality is a person. The being of God himself. The ultimate answer to the ultimate question is not the, answer, is not the number 42, but a God who reveals himself according to scripture as a person, an eternal father. And our search for meaning is ultimately then a search for relationship. When we're talking about the biblical view of reality, we're not talking about some impersonal force like is reflected in you know, popular science fiction like Star Wars and things like that. We're not talking about the force be with you. The biblical view of reality is that ultimate reality is a person with thoughts, feelings, drives, desires, purposes, a volition, a will, a person. And so... Our discovery of reality and personal purpose is found in a relationship with that person. You see, you can't have a relationship with a force. Because God is personal, he is essentially knowable. He is a being with whom it's possible to enjoy personal relationships. And that's what we discover right from the very beginning of Scripture. Not that there's an impersonal force that Adam connects with and taps into, but a person who, according to Scripture, comes and walks and engages with Adam in the garden in the cool of the evening. That's the ultimate reality that the Bible introduces us to right at the beginning of Genesis. A reality that is essentially personal and therefore knowable. That's one of the reasons why the Christian perspective of reality is vastly different to that of Eastern religions, where God is ultimately impersonal. God is not a thing or a force, according to the Bible, but a person. And the Christian answer to the ultimate purpose in life is that meaning is found in personal relationship with that person. Not a nirvana experience of ceasing to exist or a dissolving of our personhood as we merge into some impersonal spirit, 
but no, a life-enhancing, person-enhancing relationship with a God who is himself a person. That's how Jesus put eternal life. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus defined it in this way. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That they know you. That's a relational term. The Apostle Paul was driven himself by this pursuit of relationship with God. In Philippians 3, he speaks these words. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. The Apostle John puts it in these words, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The story of the Bible is the story of God in the beginning creating humankind with this relational capacity to know him in a personal and intimate way. And as the story unfolds, we find that the drama and the tragedy is that that personal intimacy and relationship is damaged and disrupted through man's desire to live without reference to God himself. The Gospels and the New Testament record, however, how God, in response to that, himself takes initiative through becoming human to mend that damaged relationship and make possible through the work of the cross intimacy and personal relationship for all who respond to what he's done on the basis of the cross. That, in a nutshell, is the good news of the story of the Bible. How God has provided a solution to our relational alienation from him. And how he has made it possible for us to reconnect with him in a personal way. It's of course the absence of that personal harmonious relationship which is according to the Bible at the root of all our alienation. Whether it's the very dark troubled alienation of our friend Ben that somehow led him to take his own life or whether it's simply the sense of lack of peace and emptiness that the most successful person in society may be experiencing during those darker moments. That alienation is a result of not enjoying the personal relationship with God that an individual was created with. The missing piece is a person, according to Scripture, and the experience of relationship with him. The deficit is a relational deficit. And the quest that we're on is a relational quest. The search ends not by us discovering some nebulous number, but by us meeting and encountering a person.
and entering into an intimate relationship with him. That's why Jesus in scripture is at the centre of the story. He's the one through whom we reconnect with God. It's possible to reconnect with God because of who he is and because of what he's done. So the discovery then, first of all, of our purpose in life begins with an encounter with this person. Tim Keller speaks of how when we make something or someone ultimate in our lives, we commit what the Bible terms idolatry. Such is the drive, of course, to find meaning and purpose that we often try to discover that significance and worth in human relationships and in things other than God and we find that the disappointment that drove us to look for meaning and worth and significance in those things is double compounded when those persons and things, as they do, disappoint us. True meaning and worth is found by discovering relationship with the one who is himself ultimate and will never disappoint us because he is everything in infinite terms that we've ever wanted. So the first way in which we find meaning in life is through relationship. second thing I want to mention is worship. Whilst meaning and purpose is found according to the Christian message, in a personal relationship with God, there are certain things that are true of this person that are totally distinct and unique. The one that we're invited to encounter is unique and extraordinary in every way. Uh, Theologians through history have tried to define who God is. And there's a famous story of how in 1847, more than a hundred of Britain's most educated ministers and Bible scholars met at Westminster Abbey to put down the great doctrines of the Reformation on paper. As the story goes, their work was moving steadily forward and they were making progress until they got to the issue of how to define God himself. How do you put down the divine attributes of God on paper? And they tried unsuccessfully to write an appropriate definition, which was they felt faithful to scripture. And in the end, they became so discouraged that one of the members suggested that they prayed. And so as the story goes, a young Scotsman stood up and prayed. Oh God, thou who art a spirit, infinite and eternal and unchangeable, in thy being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. At which point someone interrupted and said, hang on a minute, we'd better write this down. That's the story of how the definition of the being of God found its way into the Westminster Catechism. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. That's the person that it's possible to get to know in a personal and relational way through Jesus Christ. Now we can spend weeks and weeks on every one of those attributes. But the response on our behalf of encountering and coming to know that kind of person is surely one of adoration and worship.
When we talk about the God of the Bible, we're not talking about some Father Christmas figure up on a cloud or some kind of divine cuddly friend. We're talking about an infinite personal spirit who is in himself ultimate in every conceivable way. A God who completely blows our minds on every level. And because God is like that, our relationship with him is appropriately characterised by worship. Worship then is what we were created for as human beings. And so we find the purpose of life in relationship, yes, but also in worship. The Bible account records how God created humankind not to fulfil a particular task, or to meet a certain need in God. The message of the Bible is that God created human beings in order to simply glorify himself. Idolatry is attributing ultimate worth to persons and things that are most definitely not ultimate and often very flawed. And that's a recipe for deep disappointment in life. Worship is attributing and celebrating the ultimate worth of the one who is truly ultimate in every conceivable way. That's a recipe for living with purpose, for fulfilling the reason why you were placed on this planet. The person who is God is an ultimately extraordinary person. And by worship, I'm not talking about singing songs for half an hour on a Sunday morning. I mean the 24-7 expression of affection and joyful obedience and simple pleasure in God that the Bible says is to characterise all that we do. Whether it's singing holy, holy, or whether it's washing the car, or cooking the pasta, or playing with the kids, or working on the production line. We find fulfilment and reason and significance and worth in life by doing all that we do to the glory of God, don't we? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul in Ephesians 1 sets out the big picture of God's universal purpose in creation. And he describes there how we were chosen and called that we might be for the praise of his glory. A.W. Tozer says that worship of the loving God is man's whole reason for existence. That's why we're born and that's why we're born again from above. That's why we're created and that's why we are recreated. And so our purpose is discovered through living lives that are worshipful. Worshipful. The first question of that Westminster Catechism that they had no problem answering was this. What is the chief end of man? And the response is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now that sounds pretty good to me. Our purpose is to live lives in a way that's worshipful. In Buddhism, the goal of humanity is the extinction of the soul. 
and the extinction of any distinct experience of personhood. In Islam, purpose is found in eternal servitude to a God. But in Christianity, purpose is found in eternal enjoyment of this extraordinary and ultimate person who has made himself known through Jesus Christ. That sounds pretty good to me. Modern culture teaches us that we find ultimate significance by putting ourselves at the centre of our universe. The biblical view, however, is that real significance and meaning is found when we put the one who is ultimate at the very centre of our lives and we live lives that are focused passionately and energetically and devotedly to honouring and glorifying and worshipping him as the centre of all things. And it's interesting to consider the universal instinct that there is in all cultures to worship. Every culture, as I've said, has a name for God and some expression of worship. I think it's interesting in our own so-called secular culture with how the cult of celebrity has emerged. Whether it's Lady Diana or Lady Gaga, our instinct as human beings is to worship and to elevate another. Well, the question this morning for you that defines your life is not whether or not you worship, but who or what you worship. Let's look at one final thing then, mission. Relationship, worship, mission. Having said that our ultimate and eternal significance is found in personal relationship with God and the worshipful living of our lives with him at the centre, The Bible does teach us that there is a temporal task for us on the earth as human beings and as God's people. A task that you are uniquely gifted and shaped for and which you are called and commissioned and empowered for. Ephesians 2 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now our significance and our meaning is not found ultimately in those works, but in relationship with God. And if we begin to find our significance and our worth in the things we do for God, we're in big trouble. Ultimate worth and significance and meaning is found simply in our worship of him and our relationship with him. But there are works that you and I were created for. There is a mission that we're called to participate in. The works, of course, themselves are nothing but an expression of worshipful living. So John Piper says that mission exists because worship doesn't. Part of the answer to the question of what is the purpose of my life, at least here on earth, is this, to participate in God's mission on earth through fulfilling the works that he's called you to. What is God's mission then? Well, in a nutshell, it is to build his church, to extend his kingdom rule in every sphere of life and to reach every people group with the good news of who he is and what he has done through Jesus. The Bible ends its story with a sneak preview into the ultimate scene of history 
when all of those things have come to fulfilment and the church is radiant and pure and spotless, when the kingdom rule of God with justice and mercy and kindness extends over the whole universe and when every race and tribe and tongue and people group have heard the good news and are represented in that multitude before the throne of God. That's the end to which we are called to participate in during the brief life that we have on this planet. And our purpose in life is partly found by using the particular grace that God's given us to build the church, extend the kingdom of God and reach all people groups with that good news of who God is and what he's done for them. That means when it comes to our part within the community of the church, we're all participants. In Bible language, we're all functional parts of the body. And when it comes to our role within the world, we are all missionaries, empowered and commissioned and sent to fulfil the task that God's called us to. We get to partner with God and participate in his mission. You know, Alexander extended his empire in the 11 years that he had to the ends of the then known world. Founded 70 cities, but his empire crumbled and his cities, many of them are today in ruins. The reality is we get to participate in a kingdom that is unshakable and eternal and that will outlast every other empire. Part of the meaning of life is by engaging with God in his mission. Let me conclude then. What's the purpose of life? Well, it's found in answering the bigger ultimate question of what the reason for all things is. Relationship, personal connection with a personal God who is ultimate in every way. Worship, a kind of living that is focused on God at the centre that's marked by affection, adoration and joyful obedience and a total enjoyment of who he is and an engagement in mission, a participation in the mission of God on the earth. The use of the particular gifts that God's given us through building his church, extending his kingdom and reaching all people groups with the good news. Let me just finish with some application. I want to ask you some questions. We've looked at questions this morning and I'd just like to, in reflection on what I've said, just throw out some questions for you to consider. First of all, do you know God? Do you know God in a personal way? I don't mean are you religious? Do you come to church? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray at the end of the day? Do you know God? Do you know him personally, intimately, through Jesus as a friend? If you haven't encountered this ultimate person through Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you to come and chat to me at the end or someone maybe that's a friend that's brought you and ask them to explain, what do I need to do? How do I get to know this God? Because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to encounter him in that way today. You can turn and trust in him and meet with him and begin a relationship with him this morning. Let me ask you, if you have encountered him in that way, 
Are you continuing to grow in your relationship with him? This is not just an introduction. This is an ongoing intimacy that we get to enjoy daily in our lives as God's people. Are you pursuing intimacy with God as the goal of your life? Or are you content to be just a mere acquaintance of his? Is your life infused with worship? Do you do all that you do with a worshipful heart, whether you eat, whether you drink? Do you do all that you do with a heart of worship and adoration to him? Or is it a struggle to get into worship? Are you participating in God's mission? Are you using the grace God's given you to fulfil his calling to build the church, extend the kingdom and reach all people groups? The talents that he's given you, are you using them? Are you investing them? Or are they buried in the garden? Let's just close by praying. Let's close our eyes. I'd just like to pray for us this morning as we bring things to an end. And I just want to ask you, just quietly where you are, just to reflect on what I've said, and just in your own way, just to reach out to this person. Father, we thank you for the revelation that you've given us through Scripture. We thank you for the sheer pleasure that it is to know you, to have met with you. We thank you, Lord, that we can know the one who made all things and the one who is taking all things to his ultimate end. And this morning in this place, Father, I just want to pray that you turn lights on and that you'd open our hearts in a deeper way to the reality of who you are. Father, we say we want to know you, we want to worship you, and we want to participate in the mission that you've called us to. Lord, we just pray right now that your spirit would come on us, and that we know you more. I pray for those who have not yet met with you, right here and now in this place, as they open their hearts, your spirit would come on them and you'd give them that introduction to the ultimate person that they've searched for in many ways. Lord, come and do that now. In Jesus' name, amen.